great opportunity for us to publicly confess our faith in Christ. Uh, it's an opportunity for us to take a stand with uh, other members at Springbrook to say that Christ is important in our life. And uh, so if you have made a faith commitment uh, and you have not had an opportunity to be baptized for immersion, I want to invite you um, to put that on the back of your welcome slip. There's a place for you to indicate baptism. And I would love the opportunity to talk with you about baptism, uh, what that's all about. I've got some information out at the ministry center if you want to know more about what baptism is all about. But uh, maybe today, if you were uh, thinking, you know, I've talked to a lot, number of people during the last couple of weeks. If you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking, man, I really need to do that. Um, I want to invite you to come back to our second service, and uh, you can get baptized today. And so we'll be doing a baptism service at the 11 o'clock service. And so if you want to know uh, more about that, and if you want to participate in the next service, I'll be out in the lobby um, after the service this morning. I'd love to talk with you about uh, your faith commitment and just uh, taking this step of obedience. And so if you want to know more, uh, just put in, uh, indicate that on your welcome slip, or I'll be out in the lobby after the service this morning. And uh, we're glad you're with us. Uh, today we're going to be continuing our series, and Pastor Dan's going to be looking at our identity in Christ. And uh, we are so glad that you're with us. Let me ask you a question. Outside of your immediate and extended family, who do you really trust? Who do you really have a, a strong confidence in? I'm so thankful that God has given me many people. Uh, one stands out of my mind. His name is Bernie Tannis. And back in 1982, when I was... Uh, a junior in college, I was attending Moody Bible Institute. I applied for a job at Bethany Baptist Church in Harwood Heights as a youth pastor, part-time youth pastor, and Bernie took a risk, a big gamble. <laughs> and uh, we worked together for six years, and he became my mentor and continues to be my mentor to this day, he has helped me to grow so much. He has supported me. He's encouraged me. He's helped me in so many different ways. But it's a long process to build that kind of relationship. Thirty years for this particular situation doesn't take that long, typically. But I'm so grateful that God has given me that gift. And I bring that up today because we're going to be talking again about how we grow disciples. How we grow ourselves as disciples and help other people grow as disciples. And the point is, is that it's a process. It's a process. And we need to be patient in the process. When a person becomes a Christ follower, they don't know much about the Christian life. They don't know much about the Bible. They do know that Jesus Christ loves them and that He's their Savior. And that He has promised to bring them into eternal glory. And He's promised to walk with them through this life. But as a person makes that decision to follow Jesus, and then step by step their confidence grows in Christ. And we're going to be looking today specifically at the disciples. And of course Peter. We've been studying Peter and how Jesus Christ has been discipling Peter. How He discipled him and exploring about how that process works. So I titled today's message, The Ultimate Daily Question. And we'll get to that in a little bit here. Well, let's take a look at Matthew chapter 16. 
verse 13. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. It says there, Now when Jesus Christ came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? So He was walking with His disciples. This is a very important passage in Scripture. It's repeated also in Mark and Luke. And we're going to cover a lot of ground today. So fasten your seatbelts. But this particular passage speaks of the divinity of Jesus Christ. It speaks of His relationship uh, with the disciples. And He had been with them now for two and a half years. And they had kind of retreated up into the northern part of Israel to the very edge of the border. Here's a map of Caesarea Philippi. You see it's way up there. Uh, it's now located in Assyria. Jesus spent most of his time around the Sea of Galilee. But he's gone north for a retreat. He's gone north for safety because the religious leaders want to kill him. He's gone north to be with his disciples, to commune with them, to teach them, to encourage them because he is preparing them to launch the church is a big deal. And this passage is critical to our understanding of that. So, he asked them a question. Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, what do they say? Verse 14, and they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now, this is what, again, they were hearing from people in the crowds who were following Jesus Christ. Now, some say John the Baptist. Herod thought he was John the Baptist, and Herod beheaded John the Baptist. He thought that John the Baptist had come back from the dead. Now, when you look at each of these answers, they have two things in common. Number one is that this particular name that they're assigning to Jesus Christ is a forerunner of the Messiah. All these people are seen as forerunners of the Messiah, so therefore Jesus Christ must be a forerunner of the Messiah. The second thing is that all these people had to come back from the dead because the religious leaders could not deny the miracles of Jesus Christ. They could not deny that He fed 25,000 people in one sitting. <laughs> no, they couldn't do that. So they had to say that this person came back from the dead, were given supernatural powers uh, from God. That's who Jesus Christ was. He was the forerunner. Uh, Elijah, the Jews thought that he would come back before the Messiah came, that that would be a sign. So they said, well, he's Elijah, some people said. Uh, Jeremiah, same deal. Many thought that Jeremiah would come back just before the Messiah came. So all the answers were about the fact that Jesus Christ was some type of forerunner and he had to have had to come back from the dead in order to have these supernatural powers. So they said, yes, he's an amazing person. He's announcing the fact that Jesus Christ, or excuse me, the Messiah will come back. But they fall short of saying that he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. No, no. 
Now, they don't say that. See, friends, this is the ultimate question in life. Who is Jesus Christ? As you well know, other religions, people in general will say, well, he's a good teacher. Uh, he is a great example of how to live your life. He was a prophet. You name it. They give all types of descriptions to who Jesus Christ was. But they will not go to the point of saying that he is the Son of God. He is God himself. They won't say that. Well, friends, Jesus Christ claimed that. He claimed that he was God. And he claimed that he was the only way to God the Father. The only way to salvation. So, as I talk with people, as I was witnessing to somebody recently, I said to them, and I, I always say this, I said, here's the key issue. You need to decide who Jesus Christ is. You've got to answer that question. If you don't answer that question in the right way, uh, you're going to face a Christless eternity. You've got to decide who was Jesus Christ. I encourage you to, to go and explore. I'll give you resources. But who is Jesus Christ? That's the ultimate question. But it's also the daily question that you and I need to ask ourselves. Because from the time when we become a Christ follower, and as we grow, our confidence, hopefully through the power of the Holy Spirit, will grow in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now again, it grows. So as we ask the question daily, are we going to trust Jesus Christ? It all, all depends upon how we've allowed the Holy Spirit to build confidence in ourselves and actually trusting Him and actually giving over the issues of our life, of actually yielding to the Holy Spirit and say, Oh, oh Lord, make me, make me like You. And that, that takes time. That takes a lot of time in order to fully understand who Jesus Christ is. Well, we go on to verse 16, 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? It's just kind of like a final exam for the disciples. How many have taken a, a final exam this month or are going to raise your hands high? Okay. I can see all the smiles out there. <laughs> oh, oh, don't you hate that time of the year? If you're a student, oh, that's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of stress, reviewing everything, and a good percentage of your grade depends upon it. Well, this is really what Jesus Christ was doing with the disciples. He's saying, here is the ultimate question. Now, he knew what they believed, but he wanted to hear it from them. So Peter speaks up, verse uh, 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is one of Peter's greatest moments. This is uh, one of the most uh, exciting things that Peter says. He gives a confession to the fact that he believes that Jesus is the Christ. And the Greek word there is for Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. What he's saying is, and one thing before I, I go on here, you need to realize that it's just not like Peter who gets it right. It's like, wrong, wrong answer, we're going to go to the next person. No. He was speaking for everybody. 
Peter was the spokesman of the disciples. He was the leader of the disciples. His name is always mentioned first. So when he's saying this, he's saying this on the behalf of all the disciples. All the disciples believe what Peter is going to say. But he is the spokesman for it. He said, you are the Messiah. Now all of these disciples had grown up learning about the coming Messiah and they were waiting for the Messiah, especially because of the oppression of Rome. They wanted to be freed from that. They wanted to be freed from that. And so they were looking for the Messiah. And there were all kinds of people claiming to be the Messiah in that day. And what Peter was saying on behalf of the disciples, we believe you are the man. We believe that you are the God. That you are our Savior. That you are the one who's going to rescue us. That you are the Messiah. And that you are the Son of the living God. We believe that you are God Himself. That you have come from God. And you are divine. And we believe that you are the living God. Again, that day, many, many people worshipped physical idols, wood idols, all types of things that people put together to worship. And they were all dead. They were all dead gods. What Peter is saying, you are the living God. This is the great confession. The great confession that you and I live out on a daily basis. We believe that Jesus is the Christ, that He is the promised Messiah, the promised Savior. We believe that He is divinity, that He is God Himself. We believe that He is the living God, that He is the only God. But again, friends, as you journey with Jesus, and as you trust in Him, and as you seek Him out, that confidence in this statement grows stronger and stronger and stronger. But there are times when you don't have as much confidence in this statement. You generally believe it, but you maybe have some doubts. You maybe have uh, some concerns that, you know, God is not exactly delivering in your life the way you'd like Him to deliver. It's interesting. Way, way back in the beginning, we talked about this in the first week of this series, John 141. Andrew was introduced to Jesus Christ. Andrew was the uh, disciple of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And John's saying, That's him. <laughs> That's the Messiah. It says, Andrew first found his own brother, Simon Peter, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. So it's like, Wait a second, Andrew. I mean, you, you knew it at this point, but Andrew realized that it was the Messiah. But as those two and a half years passed, as they walked with Jesus Christ, as He taught them, as they saw Him live out this perfect life, as they saw Him do these miracles, as He saw them rescue them from dangerous situations, as He saw... His love and concern for them. What happened was, is that God revealed Himself through Jesus Christ. 
And God impressed upon their hearts, yes, this is the Messiah. So what Andrew said two and a half years before the account we're looking at today, it was the same thing. But it was so much different because he had that deeper understanding because of daily daily journeying with Jesus Christ. And friends, that's what we're all called to do as disciples. That's what we're all called to do as we disciple other people. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is to learn how to disciple other people in our life. I've encouraged you guys that as you listen to... Myself teach or, or other people teach on the radio or whenever you're learning about the Christian life. Don't be asked. Don't just ask the question. What can I learn? How can I be a stronger disciple? But how can I teach this to the person I'm discipling in my life? How can I put this into action? Now, again, who are you discipling? We talked last week about. How moms and dads need to disciple their children. I challenge you dads out there to get together uh, with your children and go over the notes. And I sent an email out where you could re-listen to the message. But dad, you're called to disciple your family. And we want to give you tools in order to do that. So as you listen to this message, I want you to be thinking of one individual that you're discipling. Maybe it's your child. Maybe it's a mutual discipleship with your your spouse. Uh, Maybe it's a spiritual friend that you have. Somebody who's young in the Lord and needs to be encouraged. We're all discipling somebody even when we don't even realize it. Friends, be thinking about that. So, what we see here is that over this two and a half years, yes, Andrew still believes he's a Messiah, but oh, he has such a greater depth and experience of knowing this to be true. Now, this, this, this pattern of spiritual growth uh, is not just exclusive to the disciples. John the Baptist, remember John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ? The man who came to say, he's coming. Now, he, he was the forerunner, right? Uh, that's what his life was all about. It's very interesting what happened with him is that uh, he, uh, he confronted Herod about the fact that he had greatly sinned by marrying his brother's wife. And for that, he was thrown into jail. Now, Herod kind of liked John the Baptist, but Herod's wife did not. And she wanted him beheaded, and that actually happened. So here John the Baptist is waiting in prison. There's a lot of time to think, and things maybe have not gone in the way that he thought. We're not sure what's going through his mind. But we do read in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2 says, Now when John the Baptist heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? It's John the Baptist! (laughs) How do you think Jesus Christ is going to respond to that? When when his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, come to Christ, and and they say, Hey, listen, John the Baptist is wondering, Are you the one? Are you really? The Messiah? 
There's a lot of people claiming the Messiah. Are you really the one? John the Baptist was discouraged. John the Baptist was down. John the Baptist was doubting the fact that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. <laughs> You'd think that Jesus Christ would say, you are fired, man, as my PR man. <laughs> I mean, if you have lost confidence in me, forget it. I'm finding another PR firm uh, to announce the fact that I am the Messiah. Because if you're having doubts, that's a real problem. I mean, your whole life is about this. What an incredible disappointment you are. How could you, of all people, doubt who I am? So how does Christ respond? Verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go. And tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight. And the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. Isn't that... Isn't that just so beautiful? He doesn't condemn John the Baptist. He doesn't turn away from him. What he's basically saying is, John, I know you're struggling. I know you have doubts. But uh, I want to let you know what's going on. And this is a, a prophecy of Isaiah about the Messiah. Say, John, this is what I came to do and I'm doing it. I'm the real deal. You know what Jesus Christ said about John the Baptist? He said he was the greatest man that ever lived. And here we see him discouraged and doubtful. And I don't know about you, but that just is a real comfort to me and my weakness. It's a real encouragement to me about Jesus Christ's grace and how He's there with us when we don't know what God is doing. We're in a dry time in our spiritual lives and things are not going the way that we expected them to go. And I know in my own personal life that I that I become very discouraged in my relationship with God. And, it, and I intellectually believe all this stuff, but I, I, I just sometimes say, God, why? why? Why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why now? Uh, why are you putting me through this? And I really, I, I, I'm doubting God's, I'm doubting God's goodness. I really am. And uh, and God says to me, Dan, just trust in me. Just walk with me day by day. Depend upon me. Friends, we all go through this. And that's what I'm talking about, the, the process of discipleship. You know, as you work with a person that you're discipling, they're going to have those times. They're going to say, where in the world is God? 
He's not a good God. He's not treating me right. Well, that's when you need to come alongside them and encourage them and tell them about the periods in your life that you struggle with what God is doing in your life. And, you know, what I've found is that uh, typically when I'm discouraged and I'm frustrated with God, it's because of my expectations that I put on what God should do for me that are not found in Scripture. God, you should give me this job. God, I should have a a spouse. Or God, uh, I shouldn't have this particular disease. Or God, I I shouldn't be having this much trouble in this relationship. Uh, It's our expectations. And yeah, it's, it's difficult to work through because we have a strong desire to want to enjoy life and want to have a fulfilled life. And sometimes it seems like this is going the wrong direction. <laughs> God, why aren't you helping me? But it's in those moments, how difficult they might be, they're very painful, that we come back to what really God wants for us. And that is to be dependent upon Him. To find our identity only in Him. To not be worshiping other things in our life. It's, it's, it's tough. It's very hard. But, but I tell you what, you know. Um, as you disciple someone, and disciple yourself in a sense, it's a process of patience. Patience. Just waiting. Waiting on God. Seeking Him out. Experiencing His grace and forgiveness and His love. I mean, if John the Baptist, (laughs) the greatest man that ever lived, could have such serious doubts, don't you think we're going to struggle? Oh, no doubt. And don't think you're alone. You are not alone. You are not alone. And If you're going through this type of period in your life right now, I would just encourage you to encourage you to go to another Christ follower and share what's going on in your life if you haven't already so that they can encourage you and carry you along. Let's move on here. Matthew 16, 17. And now this is how Jesus responds to Peter. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, that means son of Jonas, Bar, uh, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And when I think he, he talks about revealing this truth to him, it, it was a revelation that happened over the last two and a half years. That's how it happened. I mean, you think about the disciples and their journey with Christ. Again, this is... This is the way people viewed the Messiah. The Messiah was going to come, and first of all, he was going to be a military leader. They, they were just under such tremendous oppression by the Romans. They hated the Romans. Everything they blamed on the Romans. And therefore, number one, the Messiah would free them from uh, Rome. Number two is that uh, the Messiah would set up uh, the nation of Israel, that he would reestablish it that he would be the ruler and that it would be like the times of David when David ruled on the throne. 
uh, one of the most glorious times in Israel's history. That's what they were expecting. That's why they're always arguing about who was going to be leading in this uh, <laughs> new nation of theirs. And there was going to be tremendous economic prosperity. They were no longer going to have to fish. I mean, life was going to be good. They were going to have all the things that they needed. That's what they were expecting when they first found the Messiah. And then, of course, the crowds became excited and they wanted to take him as king because he was a free meal ticket. <laughs> and Jesus Christ said to the crowds, he said, you know, if you really want to follow me, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, that kind of turned a few people off. <laughs> Those people who aren't as committed, they go, I don't think so here. The, the lunch was great, but i got to go. <laughs> and Jesus Christ turns to the twelve and he says, are you going to leave me as well? And Peter, again the spokesman, said, how can we leave you? You are the Messiah. But at the same time, there was, there was disappointment. I mean, I mean, the disciples expected this military, political ruler, and it wasn't turning out that way. He was turning away the crowds. And, and that's why this, this time was so critical, because here they were in retreat that they really were you know, looking for safety. And everything had gone wrong. I mean, now again, here's the interesting thing is they still had the expectations that that Jesus Christ was going to be a political ruler. It took them a while to shake that. But they really did believe that he was, was a Messiah, even though everything was going wrong uh, in that way. So Jesus Christ says, Simon, you've nailed it. You guys are right. And God's revealed this to you. And then he goes on. Now, here's a critical verse that there has been a lot of theology built upon. Uh, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, of course, we think about our, our Catholic friends, and of course, they've built the whole papacy system on this verse and other verses. They say that Peter was the first pope that he was given authority uh, to lead the church and given many different powers, including speaking ex-cathedra, uh, where what the Pope would say ex-cathedra would be as binding as what's found in Scripture. And I can understand to a certain degree why they might pull all that out of there. <laughs> but, of course, uh, we don't believe that. Because Jesus Christ is the head of the church, not a man. Jesus Christ is the one who builds his church. It says, I tell you, you are Peter. And of course, that word means stone, rock, and on this rock, so no plan words there, I will build my church. So what does he mean here? Well, Petra, uh, Petros, that is, the masculine means like a stone, and, and Petra, the feminine, uh, that means kind of like a rock bed. So there's a couple different ways to interpret this. And that is that, that Peter is a stone that's, that's a part of the rock bed. So what's the rock bed? Well, the rock bed is the confession. The fact that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ 
is the Savior. And it goes even beyond that in terms of everything that flows from that out of Scripture. So some people say, well, it's the confession that Jesus Christ is God. That's the rock bed. If you look over in Ephesians 2.20, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Uh, the verse before it talks about the church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So some people would say the rock bed in this particular verse is speaking about the apostles. And of course the apostles were the ones who began the church. I think that's an acceptable view as well. But I don't believe it's just one man. Jesus Christ builds the church. He says, I will build my church on the truth. That comes from me. The fact that I am God and every other truth that comes from me. And it's interesting, I will build my church. A lot of people say, well, now he's talking about the church that's going to come. Well, maybe, maybe not. Because the word ecclesia means assembly. And Jesus Christ in the next verse talks about his kingdom. And so a possibility with this is that I'm going to continue to build my assembly. And this was a very secular word back in that day. Now, of course, as we study along in the New Testament, we see that that word church becomes very defined. But at this point, the disciples have no idea what he's talking about in terms of the church, uh, at least that we're aware of, in terms of Jesus Christ's teachings that are revealed to us in the gospel. But he says, I will build my church. I'll continue to build my kingdom. Now, the, the church, as we understand it, started in Acts 2. So again, there's different ways to interpret that. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the gates of Hades, in the original language, which is the abode of the dead. And what basically this is saying is that Jesus Christ has defeated death. That there are gates, in a sense, over graves that keep people in eternal bondage. But as we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus Christ is saying when he says, And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates of death shall not prevail against it, because he gives us victory over death. He gives us new life here on earth and forever. Then we read on in verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now what does this mean? Well, the keys of the kingdom of heaven I personally believe that that's talking about spiritual truth. Spiritual truth, what's found in the Word of God. This is God's Word that we need to follow, that we need to obey. This is His truth. So when it says, I will give you, He's not talking about giving it to Peter. 
as the first pope. But he's talking about giving to the apostles and giving to us the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We say, well, that's a lot of power. <laughs> what are we talking about here, you know? Uh, we're going to be telling people what to do and they've got to do it. Well, no, no. But this, I believe, is a key uh, to heaven. This is God's truth. So, for example, when a person comes to you and says, Hey, listen, you know, I really don't believe that Jesus Christ is God. And uh, the way I'm getting to heaven is by uh, being a really good person. We can say with authority, we can bind on earth and say, no, that is wrong. It's bound in heaven. It's bound in heaven because it's the truth of God. We can say, no, if you believe that, you are not a Christ follower. Or if a person says they become a Christ follower, and as we listen to them and ask questions and it seems sincere, we can say, yes, I believe, based on what you've shared with me, that you are a Christ follower. What are we doing? Well, again, we're using the keys of the kingdom of heaven and say, yes, based on what you've said and what the truth, the truth that's found here in the word of God says, uh, that's true. You are a Christ follower. Or if a person says, you know, I, I, I just want to kind of you know, live with my girlfriend a while, live with my girlfriend for a while and kind of find out if we're compatible. I can tell you right now you're not compatible. Uh, <laughs> two sinners are never compatible. But the point is, yeah, we just want to kind of check things out, maybe get married later. We can say, based on Scripture, no. No, that is wrong. And again, it's going to cause a lot of pain in your life. God wants to help you to live a life uh, that is pleasing to Him and that also... Uh, where you don't have to experience the pain of sin. So we can again say with the keys of the kingdom of heaven, no, don't do that. Or, or if you come across a person who's just filled with bitterness, bitterness about a particular person, bitterness about a particular situation, we can say with the authority of heaven in a gentle and loving and graceful way, if you continue in your bitterness, it's going to eat you alive. And you're rebelling against God. You need to forgive that person. And I know that's impossible. That's why you need the Holy Spirit to do that. But let me help you walk through that. See what I'm talking about? The keys of heaven is the authority of Scripture. And we can say with confidence, we can say with authority that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. And people say, well, that's way too restrictive and you're way too narrow and open your eyes. Hey, this is coming from heaven here. Okay, this is the truth. And so this is, the most, this is one of the important pieces of discipleship. As we disciple other people, this is, this is, this is the only curriculum. Okay. This is the only true curriculum. There are other curriculums, of course, that help us understand this. But this is the curriculum for discipleship. And that's why it's so important that, Dad, you be spending time with your family in the Word of God. 
And that spouses be spending time in the Word of God. And, and that kids be learning the Word of God. We had our WANA ending program. And it, was so, it was so exciting to hear these kids quoting Scripture. So exciting to see these kids getting awards for memorizing Scripture because they were learning about the keys of the kingdom that they can live the rest of their lives upon through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we go to the next verse. What does he say to them in verse 20? Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was a Christ. What? <laughs> Isn't that the whole point? <laughs> well, the reason he said that is because they had a totally different idea of who the Messiah was. And it would just feed the frenzy. Now, when he was going to let them loose is when the Holy Spirit came, right? He said, wait for the Holy Spirit. And man, when the Holy Spirit comes and the church starts, you just tell everybody that I'm the Messiah. You tell everybody that I'm the Son of God. You tell everybody that I am the one who has come to save you. You let loose. <laughs> but just hold on for a second, okay? <laughs> you got to wait. So friends, I just want to encourage you and encourage myself as we seek to grow in discipleship, as we help others, as we disciple others, to be patient in the process. The child you're discipling, the friend you're discipling, just like you, they're going to have lots of ups and downs and they might wander for a while, but just continue to pray that God would show them His love and that God would bring them back, that God would give them the strength they need to walk through very difficult situations. And then, always when you're discipling someone, have the Word of God out and be studying it. Because the, this is the key to life. This reveals it. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for this very rich passage Oh, Lord, thank you. Thank you that we had the privilege to be your disciples and to disciple others. And I pray, I pray that we'd be patient. Because, Lord, you're so patient with us. You're patient with John the Baptist. You're full of grace. You're full of understanding. You're full of forgiveness. And I pray that we'd celebrate that. Lord, I pray that we would continue to dive into your word. Alone, together as small groups, one-on-one -on -one in discipleship relationships. Because those are, that's when we tap into the, the keys of life. Your truth, in Christ's name, amen. Well, if we could have our ushers come forward together.